It was a week before Christmas, 1987, and Alan Tallman had had enough. It was the final time he would let whatever was living in his home terrorize his children. He stormed into his living room, yelling at the top of his lungs, Get out of my house. No response. He yells again, challenging the ghoul in his home to come after him first. He holds his breath, waiting for something, anything, but nothing happens. A few weeks later, he pulls up to his home at around 2 a.m., late from work. The air is quiet all around, but as he approaches his garage, a howling of wind begins stopping him in his tracks. He follows the sound to the edge of his garage, where he hears an ominous voice through the howls. It says, come here. Welcome to Myths, Mysteries, and Monsters. Every so often we'll come across an interesting story, too short for our weekly episodes, but too enticing not to be told. Today, we're looking at the story of the Tallman family, who moved into a new home in April of 1986, only to be tortured several months later by a spirit they believed entered their home via a haunted bunk bed. On April 13, 1986, the Tallman family consisting of husband and wife Alan and Debbie Tallman, along with their three young children, a boy and two girls, moved into a new home in the small farming town of Horican, Wisconsin. The family considered the house their dream home and quickly made it their own. Alan had taken a job as a shift supervisor at a manufacturing plant, which would often leave him working till late at night, while Debbie stayed home with the children. At first, everything seemed perfect until February of 1987, when the family decided to purchase a bunk bed from a second-hand shop for their growing family. While they set up the rooms, Alan built the bunk bed in the basement. Several days after bringing the bunk bed into the home, the children began feeling sick, something the Tallmans would consider unusual as the children rarely would get sick in the months and years prior. Now, Debbie was bringing the children to the doctor multiple times a week. Sometimes, all three of the children would need to see a doctor in the same week. In May, the Tallmans finally brought the bunk bed upstairs, placing it in the room next to where their son slept. That night, as he tried to sleep, his radio turned on, randomly switching between channels, witnessing himself the dial on the side of the old radio move on its own. He ran out of the room to his parents in the living room, but Debbie and Alan chalked it up to imagination and malfunctioning electronics. They removed the radio from his room and sent him back to sleep. At this point, you couldn't blame them for thinking it was just imagination or a nightmare. None of the other members of the home had experienced anything strange, and none wouldn't, for another few weeks, when Alan was painting in the basement. Debbie called on him to take a break and come upstairs for lunch, and he complied, leaving the brush on the edge of the pan. When he returned, he found the brush now dipped in the paint can handle first, something Alan knew he didn't do. Yet, he kept the incident to himself, as he didn't believe there was something in the home. But soon, Debbie would learn there actually was. Their two-year-old daughter, who had been sleeping in the bunk bed, told her of a woman with red eyes appearing in the room. She would often come around at night and create a fire in the room that would disappear quickly after. Debbie believed her to be a witch, but was still uncertain if the story was just imagination. That is, until a month later, when her son screamed out in the middle of the night. He claimed to have seen the same woman glowing red as if she was on fire. Debbie and Alan asked their pastor, Wayne Dobritz, to come inspect the home. Immediately, he could feel an evil presence, believing it to be the work of the devil. He encouraged the family to attend church on a regular basis to combat the evil spirits, but this only made them angry. The family began hearing voices throughout the home. Doors were banging open and closed at all hours of the night, and the children were being visited more often by the burning witch. It was now the week before Christmas, 
seven months after their first occurrence when their son's radio was controlled by an unseen spirit, and once again, their son would scream in the night, claiming to have seen another vision that terrified him. Alan lost his temper, challenging the spirit to attack him instead of his children, but when there wasn't a response, the family believed the worst may be over. Unfortunately, just three weeks later, Alan would be called by a spirit outside of his garage as he returned from work. The voice beckoned him to come closer, but Alan found nothing as the wind howled around him. He turned back to his front door when he heard the voice again. Turning back towards the garage, this time, he saw the fiery flames engulfing it. He ran inside, lunch pail in hand, and realized the garage wasn't actually on fire. He looked back outside, and it was all perfectly normal. But as he entered his home once again, the lunch pail in his hand was fiercely launched across the room. Alan could do nothing to battle the unseen force, and with no other choice, he made his way to his daughter's room to sleep. He had been sleeping on the floor near their bed to help the girls sleep through the night, as they were terrified to do so alone. But the spirit of the witch wasn't done with Alan yet. Later in the night, he woke up to a fog filling the room. A voice sounded through it, saying, You're dead. Moments later, he was in the kitchen with Debbie, unable to speak, but shaking from fear with tears running down his face. Several days later, Alan knew he was going to be late from work again, and asked a relative to stay with his daughters in the room until he arrived. The relative didn't believe in the stories or the hauntings in the home, but that night, he would see the burning witch and screamed at the top of his lungs. He walked out of the room as Debbie yelled, asking what was going on, but it was her breaking point. She had the family leave the home and vowed to never return. The Tallmans believed whatever haunted their home was linked to the bunk beds and wanted to ensure it would not follow them. Two weeks after leaving the home, they brought the bunk beds to a private dump and had it demolished so it could never be used by anyone ever again. The home was placed on sale in February of 1988. Quickly, rumors grew in the neighborhood of what caused the Tallmans to leave the home. People believed blood had oozed from the ceiling, or that the basement contained a hole to hell. Others threatened to burn the place down, which caught the attention of the sheriff. He begged the Tallmans to speak to a select few of the press so they could tell their story and people would stop with the rumors and threats. Soon a new family moved in, and the show Unsolved Mysteries would film an episode in the home about the Tallmans. The new family, nor the crew, ever experienced any paranormal occurrences. The Tallmans also never had another terrifying experience or visits from the burning witch in their new home in a new city. The Committee for the Scientific Investigation of the Paranormal believed the Tallmans were being affected by a gas leak that caused hallucinations. This is bolstered by the fact that the Wisconsin Power and Light Company had to replace faulty gas fittings in several homes in the area, except the Tallman home wasn't one of them. Also a question would be why did the hauntings begin after the bunk beds were brought into the home and not prior? To that, I put forth my own admittingly flimsy theory. What if the Tallmans were suffering from hallucinations, but from black mold in the wood of the bunk beds or in the walls of the home? The bunk beds were purchased from a second-hand store and it wouldn't be too much of a stretch. The children experienced the haunting sooner than the parents since they were closer to the mold and smaller. Black mold can cause hallucinations in some cases. But the problem with this theory is there's very little chance the Tallman family wouldn't have realized the black mold in the home in the first place. The other symptoms of black mold, such as sneezing, allergic reactions, rashes, etc., were also never said to have occurred. In the end, we may never know what actually happened in a Tallman house, but what we do know is sometimes a dream home can be a real nightmare. But how about you? Do you think their home was truly haunted, or was there a rational explanation to their hauntings? Thank you for joining me on today's episode of Myths, Mysteries, and Monsters. If you have a myth, mystery, or monster you'd like us to cover, 
send an email to mythmysteriesmonsters at gmail.com. My name is Hector. Script and research is done by E.L. Soto. Sources are in the show notes for further reading. Subscribe, rate, and review. And remember, always look behind you.